Amen. Why don't we just lift our hands right now and ask the Lord to have his way in the remainder of this service. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. Hallelujah. God, we love you, Jesus. So grateful for the chance to be in your presence. Hallelujah. Lord, would you anoint this house. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. Move in this place today. Holy Ghost. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. So wonderful to be in the house of the Lord today. And uh, I give great honor to this good church. And so many here have become faces that know and appreciate and so very much love uh, what this church represents, not only in the kingdom of God, but especially in the Atlanta metro area and the standard of truth that has been upheld from this pulpit. And uh, you are to be commended here today. And I also want to take a moment to say how much I love and appreciate your good pastor. And uh, Brother Jordan Copeland has become such a rich and treasured friend to me. Uh, he kind of, he invited me to preach here in an unusual way. I don't think I've ever been invited this way before. He sent me a picture of the flyer with my face on it. And the date selected and said, will this be okay? was unusual but it works that's <laughs> yes sir fallen told that's right amen uh, I love and appreciate him very much and um, and uh, I'm looking forward to many many years laboring together will you turn with me in your Bible to the book of Exodus chapter number four and this is a story I'm sure that everyone here is familiar with, or most everyone. Exodus chapter number 4, and uh, I want to begin reading with verse number 1. The Bible said that Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe, the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. I want you to look back up to verse number two. The Bible says that the Lord asked Moses, what is that in thine hand? And I want to speak to you for a little while this evening on this subject. What is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? Can we talk to the Lord one more time? Would you ask God to talk to you here today? Lord Jesus, I come to you, Lord, as an humble vessel, a simple man, a humble servant with a simple word. God, I pray that you would anoint these lips of clay to speak what you have laid upon my heart to say. And I ask, oh God, that you would also anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what thus saith the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in this place. Renew somebody in their purpose. Renew somebody in their commitment to do a work for you. God, move in this house. We'll give you the glory and the praise for it. Oh, that's good. Why don't you put your Bible down? Lift your voice and clap your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. You may be seated here this evening. This Moses that we find in our text today does not appear to be the same one who would boldly walk into Pharaoh's throne room. 
He does not appear to be the same Moses who would stand bravely at the Red Sea as he proclaimed, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He does not appear to be the same Moses uh, whose uh, visage after seeing the hinder parts of God would shine so radiantly that he had to wear a veil over his face in the eyes of the people. The Moses that we find in this text has been shaken by a burning bush experience. He has just been given a divine directive and now the inner turmoil of the knowledge of his own limitations has just hit him full force. He is standing there trembling in his own inadequacies, grappling with the thing that God has given him to do. And yet as he uh, languishes in that moment, God begins to assure him that he has given Moses all the tools that would be necessary for victory. And I've come here today in the middle of your September revival to let you know that God has already given you the tools that you need for your victory. Anybody believe that here today? God has already supplied the need. He has already seen what is coming around the corner. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And there is nothing that this good church will face that God has not already provided for. He's already given you everything you need. Anybody believe that here today? Praise the Lord. Amen. And so we see here in the life of Moses as he comes to terms with what it is that God has told him he must do. And uh, this powerful directive that he is given uh, is recorded in the book of Exodus chapter 3. Beginning with verse number 4, the Bible says that the Lord saw that he turned aside to see this burning bush. And God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And God told him, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And there as Moses is in the middle of the presence of the Lord, God tells him about his plan. He says, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of a land unto a good land. And so uh, as Moses begins to get on board with God's plan, God begins to tell him how he intends to do it. He says, come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Let me just stop here and say today that as a minister of the gospel, one of my greatest personal struggles is with what is my part to do and what part belongs to God. Because I know that there's a lot of things I can't do. I don't have the wisdom for. I don't have the capacity to, to perform and to do. Amen. And, uh, and, but I have found uh, in Scripture and in my own life that the things that God expects us to do will often push us to the boundaries of our limitations and beyond. Let me just stop here and say today that I believe that what God has in store for this church is bigger than you probably understand from where you're sitting right now. The goals and the tasks that you see ahead of you, amen, they don't even begin to tell the true story as to what is possible, the potential that exists from this very congregation. Oh, somebody ought to get a hold of this here today. God has a bigger plan than just this building and these four walls. 
But God intends to use this congregation in a great and mighty way in this region, in this area. Praise the Lord. You might as well make up your mind to see that what God has in store is bigger than what we just experienced and greater than the numbers currently on the pews and broader than what we have in hand at this moment. God has big plans and it often will push you beyond the limits of your understanding and imagination. Amen. Let me just also say here today, amen, as God is speaking to Moses, he says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. You know, if God had showed up in Pharaoh's courtroom, he would have crumbled at the awe-inspiring visage of the presence of God. If God filled uh, Pharaoh's courtroom, he would fall upon his knees. He would come undone in the presence of God. The might of Egypt means nothing in comparison to the great power and authority of our almighty God. But God doesn't say, I'm about to step down into Pharaoh's courtroom. He says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. You're going to stay there. And then he goes on to say that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I hope that somewhere in the house there's somebody that's willing to do your part in the kingdom of God. Willing to submit yourself to the plan of God. Willing to turn your heart over to him and put your hand in his and say, God, whatever my part is in the kingdom, I pray you'll help me. I pray you'll direct me. I pray you'll strengthen me. I want you to order my steps. I want you to shine on my pathway. I want you to give me power and authority to do all that you intend to do. Amen. As he is there hearing these words, he begins to immediately grapple with them. You mean you're going to send me? You mean I'm going to have a role in the great deliverance of your people? You mean you're going to use me? Anybody here feel like God has better options besides you and me? Come on, let's be honest here today. Anybody feel like perhaps God has some better options? And let, yet look who it is sitting on the pews here today. Look who it is in the room. I don't know why God didn't choose smarter people and more financially capable people and more politically positioned people. But he chose you and me. Come on now. I don't know why God chose the individual disciples he chose. But he chose them. And look at what God could do. I happen to feel like God's methods still work. Like God's plan still has power. Like God's opportunities ought to become our desire. Amen. And so as Moses begins to try to reason with God about his own inadequacies, he starts uh, coalescing around three primary things. First of all, he says, who am I? I mean, let's be honest, God. Surely you've got somebody better for this task. Exodus 3.11, Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the people the children of Israel out of Egypt. He, he begins to ask later, uh, who shall I say sent me? In other words, what authority am I going in? And verse 14, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Amen. He's beginning to hear from what God thinks about the situation. And, and a few verses later, we see his third uh, objection. He says, he begins to ask about his own limitations. In Exodus 4 and 10, Moses said unto the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofar nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I 
am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. I have the feeling today that if there's anybody in the room from for whom God has a plan and an objection, you probably feel the same uh, limitations. You're probably wondering why God would choose you. You're probably wondering how you're going to have enough power. And you're probably looking at all the reasons why your limitations should stop and hinder the work of God. Let me just say it here today and make it plain that God still uses people to perform his work. Amen. There are some things that God does and him alone. But I've noticed that in the plan of God, he always has a man. He's always got a person. He's always got a lady, somebody, amen, to bridge the gap and do a work and be a tool in the hand of the Lord. Amen. So to the middle, in the middle of this uh, diatribe, Moses kind of trying to uh, remove himself from being qualified for this great task. God begins to put upon Moses five reassurances that he is going to help him. First of all, he shows him the rod that is in his hand. And uh, we read that here today, how that he cast it down and it became a serpent. And that he had to bend over and grab the serpent by the tail, which is not really how you grab a snake, by the way. He had to grab it by the tail, and uh, it turned back into a rod. Secondly, there was the leprous hand. God told him to take his hand and put it into his bosom. And when he pulled it out, this normal hand had become extremely leprous. He then was told to put it back into his bosom, take it back, and it had turned back into a normal hand. It was again as his other flesh. And then he told him uh, later that it would come to pass that they would not hear the same signs that he had been given and that he would, was to take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land and that that water would become blood upon the dry land. That's number three. Number four, he told him, he said uh, uh, to Moses' objections about his speech, he said unto him, who hath made man's mouth or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. In other words, God is telling him, you don't have to rely upon your words, but I'm going to put the right words to say in your mouth. You're going to be able to open your mouth and speak with the authority and the power of God himself. The fifth thing that he told him is, as he begins to offer up more objections, the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he began to say to him, It's not Aaron, the Levite, thy brother. I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. Amen. In verse 16 he said that he will be to thee instead of a mouth and thou shalt be to him instead of God. In other words, God said, you're going to find, I'm not just going to equip you, but I'm going to equip this brother of yours as a spokesman. And he is going to stand up and he too is going to speak with authority. And with these signs, he began to do the work of God. He moved on out and began to orchestrate the works of God. And I'm not going to get into all of it here today. But the passage of Scripture that we read for our text, it begins with the rod, this sign upon the land where it turned into a snake and then back into a rod. And this rod became an important tool for him for the remainder of his ministry. We see time and again where the rod becomes a sign of God's authority and power. And in uh, Exodus 4, 17, amen, God told Moses, thou shalt take 
this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. And he began to do them. Amen. I don't want to bore you or slog this message down here today, but just uh, hold on for a moment because I think it's necessary for us to get a grip on what it is that this rod became. First of all, it was a sign before Pharaoh. And, and uh, it was cast in front of Pharaoh. And it did become a serpent and was picked up. Secondly, it was a sign to the people. Uh, amen. When the water was turned into blood. It was a sign upon the land when dust was turned into lice. It was a sign upon the heavens when thunder and hail fell as God had him hold that rod up to the sky. It was a sign upon nature when Moses stretched his rod over the land of Egypt and the east wind blew and brought the locusts. It was a sign for deliverance at the Red Sea when Moses lifted up his rod and stretched out his hand and the wind began to blow and separated the land, the water, so that there was dry land between. It was a sign for sustenance as water flowed from the rock when Moses smote it with that rod. It was a sign for divine protection as in battle against Amalek, Moses stood and lifted up his hands with the rod in his hands and God helped them to prevail against Amalek. Let me just say here today that every one of these things happened with a tool God had given him as a shepherd in the backside of the wilderness. All of these tremendous signs of power came from a man who had used a rod with some sheep. Day after day, he had leaned upon this rod. Day after day, it was his constant companion. It accompanied him along every step of the way. And this powerful rod that was a sign upon all of these things was something that he already had in his hand. Are you with me here today? I wonder if we have already ever come. Uh, contemplated what it is that God has placed in our hands. Well, that went over like a little balloon. But I wonder, have you ever contemplated what it is God has already put in your hands? Today, we think we are in the will of God. Tomorrow, we may feel inadequate to the task. Let me just say here today that too many apostolic people are waiting on God to show up with something new and something novel. And he is waiting on us to use what he's already given us. Well, I could drop anchor right here and preach the rest of the night. But it's true, brother. Hey, man, God is waiting on us to use what we've already got. There's already been enough power in this service to save, to heal, to deliver. There's already been enough truth preached over this pulpit to save the entire metro area. There's already enough apostolic authority in the house today. You don't have to wait on some day in the future. God is waiting on us to use what he's already placed in our hands today. Oh, come on, somebody. I know that flies against our logic and reasoning. We want to talk about how little we've got. But we have to begin to have a real conversation with ourselves and be honest with the man in the mirror and recognize how little we use what God has already given us. <laughs> oh, come on, somebody. Amen. God knows how to use what he's already given us. Amen. Some folks are waiting on a bigger paycheck. Some folks are waiting on a better job. Some folks are waiting on a nicer car, a bigger house. Come on, somebody. Amen. But God doesn't need any of those things to do what he came to do. Even more, God doesn't need any of those things to create deliverance. Well, praise the Lord. 
We're just waiting on that praise team to get a little better before we'll really worship him. Come on now. They sang songs of Zion here tonight. Beautiful songs. Holy songs. Righteous songs. Hallelujah. You don't have to wait on the piano player to upskill and the bass player to, you know what I'm talking about here today. Amen. But you can come and worship God and God can move in a mighty way right where you're at. He doesn't have to wait on some day when you're better and more equipped and you got more people on the pews. He can work in this congregation right now. Hallelujah. So I wonder if we could take a few moments to self-assess a little bit. To look at the tools that are in our hands. You see, the rod that Moses had was put in Aaron's hand before they stood in front of Pharaoh. There's a lot of things that happen around here in every other apostolic church I know of where there's delegated authority. Come on, somebody. Amen. I hope you'll ride with me a little while here today. Amen. I'm going to keep my eye on the time. Amen. But delegated authority where the pastor has said this is what I want to do and this is who I'm asking to do him and Aaron showed up and cast down his rod before Pharaoh and it became a serpent can I tell you here today let me just let me just stop and talk to everybody who does anything for this congregation everybody that does anything for this church has an important role to play in the kingdom of God you held the door open, you taught a Sunday school class, you helped make some food, and you helped pass out some invitations, or, or you gave in the offering plate, whatever it was you did. Amen. There's some delegated authority. God knows how to use that. God knows how to use that. Let me just encourage you here today. If you've got a role to do, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. Don't give some lackluster effort and wait on some better day. But pour yourself out and say, God, in so much as this is my job, I'm going to do it with all my heart. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house here today. Amen. All you might have is a rod, but a rod is good enough. All you might have is the pastor's staff, but a staff is good enough. Come on, if you've been commissioned to teach Bible studies, don't wait on a better day. Get busy now. Praise the Lord. Whatever you've been asked to do, do it with all your heart, knowing God can use that delegated authority to accomplish a great work for the kingdom of God. Amen. All you might have today is a little bit of faith. But faith was enough when Abram looked at his son as they're walking to, to a sacrifice. And Abram, Abraham at that point knows what he's about to do. And the son's looking around taking stock at what's missing. Uh, he, he starts realizing something's out of order. But the man of God had enough faith in that moment to believe that God could provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Let me just say here today, if you've got a little bit of faith, you ought to exercise it. You ought to put it into action. You ought to go ahead and use that little bit of faith that God has put in your heart, amen, to do what God has told you to do. Amen. You might not know how everything's going to come together, but you ought to go ahead and start walking to the sacrifice, putting one foot in front of another and saying, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I serve a God who can make up the difference, who can make up the 
gap, who can stand in the hedge, moreover, who can provide himself a sacrifice. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I'm going to keep on being faithful. I'm going to keep on going to the house of God. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on worshiping. I'm going to keep on amen. I'm going to keep on going to the altar knowing God knows how to work it all out. Amen. All you might have is a handful of meal and a little oil and a cruise. But if you have that little bit that was enough for a prophet to tell a widow woman in 1 Kings 17, amen, to bring him a morsel of bread. And she looked at her little handful of meal and a little bit of oil and a cruise and said, we're gathering some sticks to make some bread. It's going to be our last meal, and then we're going to die. The prophet knew what God could do with a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal. Praise the Lord, somebody. Amen. They go and do as he told them to do. And then the prophet began to prophesy to them and say, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Praise the Lord. You might have just a little bit with you here today, but I'm here to tell you that God can use a little bit and make it last. He can use a little bit and make it be enough. The scripture still says, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Why? Because the righteous know how to use a little bit they got. Because God knows how to give even more. I'm constantly amazed at the people that use a little bit and how God turns a little bit into an overflow. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Oh, come on, somebody. You might have shown up here tonight and all you can think about is your little bit. All you can think about is your lack, your need, what you don't have, what you don't know, where you can't go, who you don't know. But I serve a God who can take a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil and turn it into enough to last the distance. Amen. All you might have is a little pot of oil. All you might have is a little pot of oil. And you might be facing the greatest trial of your lives like one widow was facing. About to lose her sons to her debtors. And by the time the prophet encounters her path, she starts telling him about how bad things really are. She said, I've just got a little cruise with a little bit of oil, just a little bit. And the prophet said, I want you to go borrow some empty vessels. I want you to go borrow, I want you to go make room for what you don't already have. Amen. Not a few. That's right. And by the time the story is over, he's telling her to stand there at the mouth of each one of these vessels and tilt this little jar of oil. And as she pours, God multiplies what she uses and turns it into the ability to fill all of the vessels that she had. Let me just tell somebody here today, if all you've got is a little bit of vessel, a little, little vessel with a little bit of oil, you might as well go ahead and start pouring. You might as well make up your mind, this is what I've got in my hand. Instead of hoarding it, instead of laying down and dying, I'm going to go ahead and use a little bit I've got in obedience to the word of God. I'm going to tell you, God is able to make up the difference. God can give you a great victory in your life with just a little bit of oil. Amen. All you might have is the desire to serve the Lord. That might be all you've got. 
Amen. But that was what a man had under a certain oak in Ophrah that pertained to Joash as a man named Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress. And the Lord showed up to him, amen, with an angel and said, I want you to uh, understand, Gideon, you have a bigger uh, plan in the kingdom of God than just standing here threshing some wheat. You've got more to do than just tend to, amen, a natural uh, harvest. But I've got something for you to do, amen, and God is going to use you as a deliverer, amen. And he looks around and says, I came from a poor family. I came, we're the least, we have nothing, we're this, we're that but all he had was the desire to serve the Lord and the Lord looked upon him and said go in this thy might can I tell you a little bit of faith is enough to accomplish a great work if you use that which is in your hand praise the Lord praise the Lord by the time it's over he's marching with 300 men against a mighty army with the most unusual of marching orders but the faith he had under the tree in Oprah was enough they meant to accomplish a great work why? because God can use that which is in your hand amen all you might have is five loaves and two fishes Barely enough to feed yourself. Barely enough to supply the hunger of a small boy. Amen. But when the disciples came around, they gathered up those five loaves and small, two small fishes. And they gave it to the master. Can I tell you, there's a beautiful aspect of all this. That's in every one of these examples. At some point, you've got to give what you've got to the master. Hallelujah. He carried a little basket, five loaves and two fishes to church that day. Amen. I don't know if anybody's got a sack lunch in here, but if you do, you might want to share it with the rest of us. <laughs> Amen. Five loaves and two fishes. They said, there's an alvear coming tonight. We better be prepared. Amen. Amen. Five loaves and two fishes. They brought that down to Jesus. Oh, let me just stop here and say, it's been a lot of times as a preacher, I've wondered how God would do what he was going to do with the little bit we had. As a preacher. I guarantee you, brother, that they brought that to him just to kind of show him, this is really all we've got. This is it. It's not going to get any better than this. They hand him that little basket, and Jesus doesn't waste time. He starts praying over it. And then he reaches his hand in and begins to break it. And as he breaks it, and he hands it out, he reaches back up to break again. There's enough to break again, and so he breaks. And the multiplication that happens there in Jesus' hand becomes so great that it's enough to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. And by the time it's over, those same disciples who came to Jesus probably feeling a little bit, amen, of like, you know, this is really just how bad it is. I don't know if you, what you can do with this. By the time it's done, there's 12 baskets. That means that each one of them had enough to fill a basket on their shoulders to show them just what God could do. Let me tell you here today, if all you've got in your hand is five loaves and two fishes, you bring that to church with you, you put it in the master's hand, he's able to supply not just your need, but somebody else's beside. Amen. Let me just interrupt my preaching here today to let you know sometimes what God gives you ain't just about you. Sometimes what God puts in your hand isn't just about your needs. Isn't just about your wants. Isn't just about your lack. But it's about others that will hear, that will benefit, that will receive. All you might have is two little mites. And while the great rich men of the city 
are bringing their great offerings, making a big show of how much they can give. This little woman walks through the crowd, two mites. The Bible says it was all she had, all her living. She walks in and puts those two little mites in. Nobody paid attention to that but Jesus. Can I tell you that's enough? Jesus sees what you do when nobody else sees what you do. Praise the Lord. Elder Epley, I'm sorry, Elder, Elder Mike Phillips said one time that the secret to living for God is to live for God in secret. God sees the little efforts. It's all you can do. And you know what? There are folks here today that can shout and run the aisles, and there are folks who can barely lift their hands. That's right. There are folks here today that could sing beautiful songs or preach, amen, wonderful messages with tremendous oratory. And there are others who feel like they can barely string two words together or carry a tune in a bucket. But God sees the little things. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place today. God sees the little things that don't matter to anybody else. But you see, God doesn't see amounts. He sees proportion. You hearing me here today? God sees proportion. That's why the tithe is a 10% for everybody. Whether you're rich or poor, it's the same amount to God. You give a dollar, you give a million dollars. It's still 10%, right? God doesn't see amounts. He sees proportion. I wonder sometimes when I come to church, just self-assessment, if God has looked at me about at what I did or what I could have done. It's quiet here today, but I hope that's on purpose. If he saw what I did or what I could have done. Hallelujah. Amen. There's folks here today, you could have worshipped, but you didn't. You could have been in the prayer room, but you weren't. You could have witnessed on the job today, but you didn't. Praise the Lord. You could have paid attention tonight, but you haven't. I'm just telling you, God doesn't see amounts. He sees proportion. The amount is immaterial. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your amount. He needs your proportion. Somebody ought to make up your mind. When I come to church, I'm going to give God 100%. I'm not talking about dollars now. I'm talking about your abilities. I'm going to give God 100%. It's not about how you can sneak into a service and unseen, unwitnessed, but coming in with thanksgiving and praise. It's not about how good you look. It's about how beautiful you make him look. It's not about your last name, but it's about that only saving name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I've got so much here to say. I don't know what this congregation can endure here today. Amen. All you might have, amen, is some water pots, but Jesus can turn the water into wine. All you might have is the name of Jesus, but Peter and John going to pray can say all I have is not silver and gold, but it's just the name of Jesus. That was enough to raise a man, a man and make him whole. All you might have is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, don't you take anything for your journey. Don't take a script. Don't take a bread. Don't take any money. Amen. But just go in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You may not have anything here today, but if you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got something powerful. Amen. The Bible said that Jesus told his disciples, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Can I tell you the tremendous power that exists just because you've got the Holy Ghost? Amen. I don't have much of anything. Just a little bit of nothing. But do you have a testimony here today? Do you have a testimony? Praise the Lord. I look into the book of Revelation. And the Bible tells there, amen, how that the, there was a great host that was seen. And, and, and they got to talking about the power that they had. And it said they overcame the wicked one by what? The blood of the Lamb and what? Their word of testimony. Praise the Lord. Somebody here today ought to realize just how powerful your testimony is. Amen. If God dug you out of the world, you ought to tell somebody, this is where I was. This is what was going on in my life. This is the chains I couldn't break on my own. This is the addiction I was struggling with. This is the pit of sin I was laying in every night. But when Jesus came my way, look at what he did. You'd be surprised. Not only is it enough to get Satan away from you, but it's enough to be a testimony to somebody else who's got the same problems, who's got the same situation. Your testimony is enough. So I want to ask this church today, what is that in your hand? What is in your hands here tonight? You see, the amazing thing about God, this is a great principle. I want to tell you today, if you have never heard what I'm about to say, you can study it through the scriptures yourself. And this will be a tremendous and powerful principle that you can hang on to for the rest of your life. God always supplies for the need before him. Before him. Now, I realize sometimes we think that the time, you know, we sing that song, it may not come when you want him, but it'll be there right on time. But the reality is God doesn't see time like we see time. And he supplies for the need way ahead of time. Think about what Job said. He said, naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. What did God take away but what he had already been given? Amen. Even when you lose something, that doesn't mean that you never had. God gives, and then he takes. That's what the tithe is, isn't it? Is that money you didn't have or money you already had? Come on, somebody. I know we, we kind of touched on money, and that makes people just real nervous. I'm not your pastor, and, and I, I'm, just, I'm just preaching what I feel here today. This is wonderful for me. I don't even have to worry about what I'm saying in terms of people getting upset at me about my pocketbook. <laughs> Amen. The Lord gives, and he takes away. I realize that those can be very hard words too, brother. Because sometimes when God takes away, we miss what we've been, what we've lost. But the Lord gives first and then he takes. Can I tell you today that everything that you have in your hand is important? Because God is watching to see what you will do with what he's already placed in your hands. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And he said unto one, unto one he gave five talents, another two, another one to every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. 
Then later the Lord comes back. And he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I know that you're a hard man. Reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, here thou hast that is thine. Can I tell you that God has a problem with people who only give back the bare minimums? The Lord gives, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Amen. He gives much, but he expects much. Luke 12, 48, he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For whom, unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. There's some principles here today I'm asking you to think about and consider. God has placed things in your hands. And whatever, whatever those things are that he has given you, it's because he requires something from you. Well, praise the Lord. Can you hear me for a little bit yet here tonight? I'm not talking about something I don't know anything about. Because I have been blessed. Anybody here been blessed? Anybody feel like God has been good to you? Praise the Lord. Brother, when God found that little Chilean man in a Bible school in Santiago de Chile and began to work in his life eventually giving him the Holy Ghost and then a revelation of the oneness of the Godhead. I know my grandfather did not see me coming down the road. But I have the ability to look back and realize just how much God has given me. The stories of my grandparents and great-grandparents. When my great-grandfather died in Chile, if you know anything about a lot of South American countries, a lot of times you die and you are buried within 24 hours. And when they pulled my great-grandfather's shoes off to prepare him for burial, they found missing toes and marks of frostbite from where he had lost his toes walking through the Andes Mountains to bring the truth to people. My great-grandmother, my mother's mother's mother, when she got in church, she got in church because her son got in church first, my great-uncle Paul. When she got in church, she came home and my great-grandfather hated the truth. He used to wait at home for her every night with a shotgun across his lap, drunk out of his mind, waiting for her to come through the door so he could kill her. And that price, brother, is what was paid for me to have the truth. That's the price that was paid. Willing to die to go to church. Willing to die to spread the gospel. Sometimes I look at my life and my children's life and I wonder at how far God has brought my family. And I start thinking that maybe I owe God a whole lot more than I have even realized before. Let me tell you something here today. If you have been brought up in church, you ought to have a realization at some point in your life as to what God really did for you. And understand that it's more than just a lifestyle, but it's a lot of blessing. And to whom much has been given much shall be required. Praise the Lord. Some folks think they come to church and a little half-hearted effort is all 
that they have to give, but do you know what has been given you? Some folks think they could come and put a little dollar or two in the offering plate and that's all they, that, that they are expected to give. But I read of a rich man who made his own barns bigger and the Lord said, this day your soul will be required of you because you are not rich unto the Lord. God is looking on to see what we are doing back to him for what he has given to us. Well, let me just preach to a spoiled generation. I'm in here today and say it's time to put your shoulders up against the plow. It's time for you to put one foot in front of another. It's time to you, for you to get on your prayer bones. It's not just enough for our gray-haired generation to do it. It's time for you to pay a price for whom to whom much is given, much shall be required I told the church Sunday night about a trip I took to Italy 2007 my father-in-law brother Ray Brown former pastor in Avondale Arizona told all of his children said if you do well in school I'll take you anywhere in the world you want to go so when it was my wife's turn to graduate, her brother was dying of uh, muscular dystrophy. And so he told her, he said, just wait. When you get married, I'll take you and your spouse and we'll go together. So it happened, thank God, glory to God. And uh, I know you all would just hate to go to Italy. But uh, that's how I felt. I was thankful for it. And my Parents went, went, my in-laws went, my wife and I, we went. And uh, saw a lot of things, experienced a lot of things. But one of the things that stood out to me is that there is this place, the ruins of which are known to be the former Circus Maximus, where great chariot races would be held. And just uh, on top of the hill next to this place is the ruins of a great palace that would have been Caesar's palace overlooking the Circus Maximus. And across a modern highway from these two locations is an entrance that goes into the ground. Goes into the ground. And five stories deep into the ground, etched out of the stone and the dirt, Below the city street is a catacomb where people used to gather and worship God. I'm talking first century apostolics. And into the sides of the walls of this catacomb are little open holes and pits where they used to take the bodies of those who had died. Christians, some of whom had been persecuted to death. Others who died but died in fear of being found out to be a Christian, buried into the walls. And I could not help it as I walked through there. I know some may think this is over-dramatized. I could care less what you think. The reality is that standing there next to those first century apostolics, I had to question myself and ask, am I the same, made of the same stuff as the people who are buried in these walls? Have I lived the kind of apostolic life that some folks who did not have the freedoms that we have, who do not have the luxuries that we have, the padded pews in our church houses, the air-conditioned buildings, electronic amplification and musical systems, the benefits and luxuries that we have. They hid. They were, they were hiding in caves and in dens. They were persecuted. They were mauled by animals in front of praying crowds and as I walked by those holes in the side of that catacomb it made me wonder if I had really effectively used that which is in my hands that which is in my hands I'm an apostolic preacher 
I believe in one God, Jesus' name, baptism, holiness, or hell. Just like they believed it. Received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues just like they did in the early book of Acts. But it's so easy to rest on our laurels and coast through one church service after another. Let me tell you something. The beauty of Buford is not this building. That's not the beauty of the First Pentecostal Church of Buford. The beauty of Buford wasn't the wonderful music that was played and the souls gathered here today. That's not the true beauty of Buford. The beauty of Buford is that a man came and preached the gospel. And people heard and obeyed. If there's anything redeemable about any of our churches here today, it can only be based upon the fact the, the, the degree to which we use the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ to do the same. Oh, I know it's quiet here today. I hope you're hearing me. Amen. I wonder if we have really used that which is in our hands like we should be using it. Is church just something on the calendar? Is our messages preached there just to tickle our ears so we can grade the preacher and his role and his job. How beautifully or how horribly he mangled a message. I wonder if we have our little evaluation sheets out here tonight as to who did what well and who did not. Sitting there laughing when somebody makes a mistake or not. You ought to put your eyes on the things that really matter. And that's the fact that if God didn't want to save you, you'd still be out in your feet in your vomit in your blood laying in the gutter of your sin but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sin has quickened us together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus What is that in your hand? You have some skill that you could use for the kingdom of God that you hoard for yourself. You have some ability, some talent that you've consumed upon your own lust, your own benefit. Or do you use it for the kingdom of God? What is that in your hand? You have a car with an extra seat or two you could bring somebody to church with you. Come on now. Praise the Lord. Amen. I wonder if your evenings off could be used for more than laying on a couch. I wonder, I wonder today if there are things in our hand that God is talking to you about right now, you could use it. You could put it to work. You could do something with it. Or you could just sit back and relax and take your ease. But I wonder today, what is in your hands? I want the musicians to come. I'm going to quit here tonight. It's amazing to me that this great and powerful tool that Moses used Tremendously for the kingdom of God. The great deliverer, lawgiver, Moses. It's just a shepherd's rod. We know he was in the, in the desert tending sheep for approximately 40 years. I wonder how long in that 40 years he had that staff. How long he leaned on it every day. Not understanding what God could do with a simple rod. I feel like the Holy Ghost is talking to somebody here today. You know what the reality is? I'm not asking you to give. I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to become. I'm asking you to ask God what you can do. 
I'm asking you to ask God what you can give. I'm asking God, I'm asking you to ask God what you can do with the things He's already placed in your hands. I was on the phone this afternoon talking with a preacher, a pastor. I called his name. I am doubtless. Everybody in this building would know who I'm talking about. He started relating to me a tremendous story, something that happened in another church many, many years ago. And he made the comment. He said, isn't it amazing how that the big givers in churches, a lot of times God blesses them with even more? And they continue because there's just something about the giving that God says, hey, look at what this person did with what I put in their hands. So he rewards them with more in their hands. It's one of the great financial principles of God's economy. But more than money, what about time? What about effort? What about energy? What is that in your hand? I don't know if you're feeling what I'm feeling here today, but I feel like the Lord of hosts is in the house. And I wonder if there's somebody here today who's willing to be so bold as to ask the question, Lord, what can I do with what you've put in my hands? Is there a work for you I can do? Is there somebody I've never witnessed to yet that maybe every night when they lay their head on their pillow, great big salty tears run off their cheeks and drip down as they ask God, where are you? Do you even care? Do you know where I'm at? What can I do, God, with that which you have placed in my hands? Come on, somebody. You're waiting on an altar call. God is waiting on you. What will you do with what God placed in your hands? What will you do with it? You're going to walk out of here and just say, I've already done enough for the kingdom. I've already paid my dues. Let the young bucks do it. Let those other people do it. I've already done my part. Or are you willing to say, God... Is there something you've placed in my hands I can do something with for the kingdom of God? Something I can use for your glory. God, I want to do something for you. I want to do a work for you. I want to be a soul winner. I want to be a prayer warrior.